I'm a junior majoring in applied mathematics and minoring in economics, and I'm also an honors student and international student from India. I'm a student assistant working with UB Sustainability, and I'm currently working on the Climate Action Plan, which is a project with 10 different committees all working together to achieve the goal of carbon neutrality by 2030 for UB. And my role on this project isn't limited to a specific committee. I get to work with all of them, which is something I really enjoy doing because it's given me a chance to take what was deductionless knowledge and experience and channel it in a productive way into this plan. And so it also gives me a chance to contribute at UB, which is something I'm grateful for. And I've been involved in different clubs on campus, most notably Debate Society and a club that I started myself called UB Bookworms. And I'm also working as a diversity advocate this year. That job for me definitely complements this one because given how climate change is important to view through a lens of intersectionality, to observe more layered impacts on say people of color or developing countries, Coming from a developing country myself, it's all the more important to me that people around me understand and process things the same way that I do. Because we're all in this together and drastic changes in one part of the world definitely affects another. I read the most recent UNDP report on climate change, which if you haven't, I definitely suggest you read as well. It's a lot of scientific jargon, Yes, but honestly, we kind of need to start giving science a bigger audience. And so in these podcast episodes that I'll be making, I want to share some of my experiences, things I'm reading or working on, and how you can get more involved with sustainability yourself, either in your personal or professional lives. And I suppose my goal in the end is to equip you with enough resources that you can take home. Right? Like we need to start having these very polarized, very political discussions in all seriousness with our friends and family and even our supervisors and bosses. Just like put a foot down, take a stance and say that we need to do better and this is how. And this issue is the very urgent one as well. So I want to start by telling you a little more about me. My first environmental experience probably started at a very young age, as it is with most people. I think most of us in a way are brought up in a society that teaches us to care about this very issue, but does it in a way that we never really learn. It's sort of a horrible truth about the world that good intentions don't always lead to good outcomes. And so I remembered like learning about recyclables when I was a kid and never making the connection that about how it applies to my own home. And This probably went on for a while, right? Like all the plastic bags I never said no to, all the plastic bottles that I bought when a reusable one was all I needed. And even my lack of knowledge about how, say, corporations contribute to this problem and how that despite the fact that I can be a more conscious consumer, at the end of the day, I need to be demanding systemic and systematic changes. And so my starting point of engaging with all of these problems and even trying to find solutions for these might have just started when I stopped eating meat. 
Now, before you click away, let me tell you, this isn't one of those podcasts. I remember even as a child, never wanting to eat chicken or fish because I thought the idea of killing something was cruel. But, you know, I never really switched because of that. I happily consumed meat for another nine years before finally watching a documentary called Food Incorporation by Robert Kenner. A friend of mine had suggested it to me, and after that, what I did find cruel was the food industry. I knew I wanted to make this severe problem just a little less worse, and so on my parents' 10th anniversary, the night they wanted to celebrate the occasion at Barbecue Nation, all I ate was toasted corn and goat cheese. Yep, since then, not only have my cooking skills expanded to serve a more diverse palate, but I've also read and engaged in journalism about issues regarding corporate exploitation of the food industry and of consumers and of small businesses and farmers and how devastating this is for them as well. And after a year or so of writing articles about economics and politics, I somehow landed on the World Economic Forum, which sort of sealed my fate in the job market. After that, I decided to come to UB and major in economics, and then I switched to math. And I didn't work for my first two years here because I wanted to find the perfect job. And, you know, I couldn't have stumbled upon this one at a more perfect time in my life. Um, A time when COVID has, you know, tested the global supply chains and the industry and corporate ability to sustain economic meltdowns alike. And I don't know how I found this job at a time when there was massive unemployment, but it happened. I'm here. Thank God. Um, Now I'd like to talk a little bit about the UN sustainability goals. So there are 10 of them. And they're all really well thought out and carefully considered goals. I won't list them all, but I do suggest that you take a little time and look it up yourself because they're all really interesting to think about. I want to talk about two goals in particular, goals 10 and 13, that are reduced inequalities and climate action. Now, these are two goals that I'm passionate about, but really, when you think about it, All of the goals mentioned are interconnected and dependent on the quality of each other. You can't fight for one thing without fighting for the other. For example, you can't mitigate inequality without considering climate action and strong institutions and sustainable communities, and of course, gender equality, which just follows through all of the goals. But for the sake of this podcast episode, I want to highlight how sustainability intersects with inequalities and climate action and how we as students of a large institution like UB can shape the discourse and response surrounding the study issue. To start with a few statistics, bear with me. According to Credit Suisse Global Wealth Report, the world's richest 1%, those with more than $1 million, own 44% of the world's wealth. Now, I'm sure you've probably heard of these statistics before. I mean, it isn't much of a secret that inequality exists, but how many of us can really make the connection of how deep this system runs? How is it that only 100 corporations are responsible for more than 70% of global greenhouse gas emissions? How do we get to a point like this without major objections and strikes to it? 
How is it that today eight people own as much wealth as 50% of the global population and that it only takes 26 billionaires to total 50% of the world's poorest wealth? There has been a guise of rapid economic growth in Asia, like in countries like China and India, that has lifted many people out of extreme poverty, but we need to understand why this poverty came about in the first place. It's not like this economic growth came without a fair share of consequences, like the rise in sweatshops, for example, and outsourcing jobs by paying less wages. Turns out that this economic growth, the global richest 1%, reaped a much greater share of economic gain. A comedian I love, Kunal Kamra, once said in a stand-up that India is a very rich country of poor people. And I really think that puts things into perspective for me because economic growth might reflect in measures like the GDP and still not be equitable and accessible to all. That is, economic growth is very concentrated to the top and it doesn't allow for social mobility. Although after the devastating blow dealt by COVID, I doubt that my country can live up to that title either. The GDP is 25% down this quarter. There's massive unemployment with no job guarantees to a graduating college student. And poverty is extreme. The vulnerability of our institutions like healthcare, education, and more are being revealed at a time when they're needed the most. And I do see many parallels between my country and the US. The only thing that bothers me about the US is that there are plenty resources like we have the people we have the money so why this inability when it comes to action now i've mentioned all of these statistics earlier and you're probably wondering what this has to do with sustainability exactly well it's not very obvious because we're kind of told that sustainability is an issue that must be addressed on its own terms but the fact is that We cannot change our ideas of sustainability without challenging the components of the system that it's a part of. So without questioning why this vulnerability first exists within our institutions and what our models are when we're bailing out corporations before our own people, we can't begin to address a sustainable future because we don't really care enough to preserve the present. And so I do think that this issue of sustainability as much as we try to be independently ethical and moral and like buy our like wooden straws I do think that it relies with our institutions and falls on our corporations and businesses that govern these institutions at the end of the day like activists have tried for years to appeal to the consciousness of businesses and us as consumers all those polar bear pictures of them being on ice caps that are melting or the sea turtles with plastic rings around their necks none of this really worked and we never really saw a bigger response from businesses until very recently in the light that it affects their profits as daddy fink of blackrock puts it to ceos all around the world in a letter the socioeconomic implications of physical climate risk is deepening our understanding of how climate risk will impact both our physical world and the global system that finances economic growth basically it hurts companies 
to not adopt sustainable practices. And so the aspect of UB's climate action plan that I'm really excited to see to come to life is carbon pricing. Because this heavily deals with that very aspect of profits in a business. It deals with controlling carbon emissions by incentivizing to produce less and pricing those who produce more. It's a very simple, very impactful tool to challenge polluters everywhere to finally adopt technology or in certain cases, create that technology that allows for greater efficiency and mindful consumption and reduced levels of emissions, which is the goal in the end. I attended the Western New York Sustainability Summit recently in late September, and I got to see a variety of businesses address the study issue of sustainability. I got to see what I consider hope, because there are people out there thinking and solving the steady complex issue of how to be a sustainable business when we know that businesses can never be the best thing that is distortive. Because businesses can never distort the resources that they use or exploit. And yet there are businesses striving to be more transparent. They're striving to adopt top technology in their fields in order to increase efficiency and thereby produce less waste. And they're also setting an example for other businesses in their field. Now, I do plan to make a podcast episode diving into the study subject of what I learned and what I saw in that roundtable conference. But until then, if you'd like to engage more with sustainability at UB, I say start by first looking into your very own majors. You'd be surprised to see that UB has one of the most diverse curriculums out there that incorporates sustainability into almost every major. Whether you're an engineering, architecture, physics, or nursing student, and especially if you're a business or economics student, I say take a course on sustainability or the environment and start evaluating how your future possible careers can intersect with sustainability. Like what is being done in this realm by the companies you work for or might work for? What can they do better? I also recommend picking up a book on sustainability or the environment. You can start with something that I started with called The Unhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells. It was quite an eye-opener for me and it definitely challenged my like limited perspective on sustainability and started making me think more about how it could impact my life in the future in the job market as well. And finally, if you want to get more involved with a club on campus, be it ESW or the Environmental Network, you could visit the Sustainability Department's website to learn more. We have a list of clubs that you could get involved with and you can do so based on your own interests. So now I'd like to conclude by telling you a little about what it is about the field of sustainability that I love the most. And I'm sure you can relate to me when I say that I love the momentum that I see in my generation and my peers. Like we have a heightened sense of awareness and a moral compass that borrows so heavily from this. We know that there's a problem out there and that something needs to be done about this. And we're planning and organizing and making a movement that is inclusive of a lot of folks that have traditionally been left out. We're discussing mitigation to developing countries and those that have been exploited by institutions in the West. And we're also talking about repudiations to 
communities most impacted. And the scope of discussion here is very large and we're acting on it. It is inspiring and bold and also challenging, but we're rising to the occasion and we're standing up for what we believe in. Finally, I just love that there is a growing sense of urgency that we're adopting into our workplaces as well. I have no doubt that this generation that I belong to is taking all its movements and its banners and it's going into the workplace, it's going into the local governments and we're having difficult conversations about this. And I'm sure that this will lead to institutional changes in the future. So as the climate clock counts down in Union Square, we're all asking the question, how can we save what's left? And we're determined to find the answer. And that's it for this podcast episode. If you made it till the end, thank you so much for tuning in. And I'll be back again next month making an episode about sustainable initiatives taken up by businesses that are leading in their fields. So till then, I hope you have a great month ahead. And if you're a student at UB, good luck with all your midterms and exams. And I will see you the next time.